And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 199 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 9.10 p.m. on June 21st, 2020. Got a lot to talk to you all about this week. More Academy news after last week's big news. The news just kept on coming. We have three trailers to talk about, some other news going on within the film industry as well. And we are also going to answer some fan questions here today. Here to join me to do all that, I've got Dan Bear. Good evening, everybody. Amanda Spears. Good evening. Returning to the podcast as a guest again, we have Kaya Shinyata. Hello, hello. And also, as another guest, double whammy here today from In Session Film Awards Circuit. You have probably heard him on Chasing the Gold. It is Ryan McQuaid. Hello, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, indeed, to all of the listeners out there. If you are a daddy, we appreciate you. Just make sure that you are a good daddy. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're a daddy, we really appreciate you. <laughs> but seriously, no. Uh, to all of the fathers that are listening out there, um, happy Father's Day to you all. Want to first start off uh, this week by actually going around here a little bit. And I want to ask uh, two questions. One, what have you all been watching over the last week? And then the second thing, is there a dad moment, uh, a moment involving a dad that really stood out to you in a movie from 2020 so far this year? Because we're almost up to the halfway point of the year. So it's time to reflect back a little bit on certain things. So, uh, Dan, why don't we actually start off with you? Oh, Lord, what did I watch this week? Um, I okay. so I watched uh, stuff for that we have talked about on the podcast i watched uh king of staten island which you can listen to our podcast review of um i was shocked by how much i ended up liking it and i also watched a uh, portrait of a lady on fire for the first time since seeing it in movie theaters last year um please please listen to the podcast review we just did of that because it was a a really, really great discussion about a just masterpiece of a movie. Um, and uh, what else have I watched this week? Um, okay, well, so it after I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, the other day, I was, you know, on Hulu and I was basking in the glow. And what does Hulu show me is, you know, the next thing to watch but uh, Parasite. So obviously, I'm not going to turn down that offer. <laughs> uh, watch the two best foreign language films of last year back to back. Yes, please. Um, and I, I still think that the like 
the first 95% of Parasite is just perfect and thrilling and so goddamn entertaining. And the end is just, I, I still can't fully get on board with it, but mm-hmm. like, woo, best picture. Like, I, I'm still amazed. I still love it. Um, it's great. And then I've just been watching a lot of um, my favorite LGBT movies for Pride Month. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. That's great, man. Really cool. And then uh, a a dad movie moment. It's not so much a moment, actually, but I really love the the relationship and the vibe uh, between Dakota Johnson and Bill Pullman in the high note. Oh, I love, um, when she goes to his, like, I guess it's both their house and his radio station. I think, I don't know, but I, I love their relationship and how, how clear they make it that they're related and that, you know, that her love of music is so organic coming from him. I, it's it's really nice. Yeah, good choice. Really, really like that as well. Okay, Amanda. I started rewatching Ozark. Rewatch, nice. Yes, I successfully taught my mother to binge watch, and after <laughs> we got through both seasons Amazing. of Dead to Me, it was a big deal. She's like, "Well, now is there another episode?" I'm like, "No." She goes, "You see, this is the problem. If we would have just watched one a day, for we would have had like twenty weekdays of being able to watch his show. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't even want to do that. So don't blame me for this. <laughs> Very thrilling. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else did I watch? Uh, I watched the Taraji P. Henson version of what men want. Oh, how was that? It's not bad. It's not bad. Hmm. It is, you know, kind of like the original. <laughs> John Smell Gibson. <laughs> already upgrade yeah <laughs> so i i love taraji p henson so i thought why not i gotta work and have something on in the background and then i guess my favorite father moment of the year because i know everyone else is going to pick something from like the De- defy blood i'm going to say when pete davidson and the king of staten island was talking about how firefighters shouldn't have families Oh. Yeah. oh my god uh, yes because i feel like you know you could really tell i think it's the only real moment in the movie where you could see the lasting damage of losing your father early yeah, yeah. and who says and as somebody whose father is deceased i i really you know yeah that. yeah sure totally he did not die in a fire he wasn't a firefighter i just want to I didn't ask. Uh, I know, but I, I think people would think that was like the case, but no, no, it wasn't that. Alrighty. Uh, Ryan, what about yourself? Oh my God. I have seen a lot this week. Um, well, I watched the King of Staten Island on my own and, um, I don't really like the film. Uh, I have a lot more, um, thoughts on extra film for in session film. Um, but I think I ended up giving that a two out of five on letterbox, um, was one of the biggest disappointments of the year. And, um, I think a lot of it had to do with the writing and in Davidson's performance that I just really wasn't, um, a fan of and, and thought it could have been uh, more focused. Um, but I did watch, uh, Gosford park, uh, because we've been doing our Robert Altman movie series. 
over there at an extra yes. film. And uh, I, I freaking love that movie. It was so good. And, nice. Um, and it was a great way to end it. But I didn't finish uh, watching Altman's because I watched his uh, movie from the 70s, Images. Have any of you guys seen it? Actually, I've not seen Images, but I've I heard good things about it. You that I haven't seen. No, yet. me neither. It is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it reminded me, man. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of what, Aronofsky was doing in Black Swan and I actually started while I was watching it think wow he really ripped this movie off <laughs> he really just because uh, Altman's just I mean the guy can do so many different things so many different genres and in and, and that 70s run I said it on uh, the award circuit podcast and I said it on the uh, in session film extra film podcast as well I think Altman's the best director of the 70s um, I put his work um, the totality of his work just up against anyone, and that's including Coppola and Scorsese and Spielberg and and Sidney Lumet and so many other great directors. Um, so I did that, and I've been doing some research for our next series that we're going to be doing, which we're going to be talking about the films of David Lean. Uh, so I was uh, able to watch some of his early your films um and i'm still need to catch up on brief encounters this week that's what we'll be reviewing um but i did able i was able to see some television shows so i was able to finish what we do in the shadows which is great yeah that show is so much fun so good and i was so sad when the last when i found out that that was the finale because i was like oh no i want more (laughs) i was like no damn you covid um but um no, it's it's super great and wonderful, and you can catch it on, on Hulu. Um, Netflix, is, or I mean, um, FX is doing so much great work with Hulu. And then I deep dived into CBS All Access this week for a one week free trial, and uh, I've been kind of binging The Good Fight. Um, so good, right? I couldn't. Well, I'd seen the first season, and I absolutely loved it, and I just never got back to it because they release it, you know, week to week during their seasons. And then I saw defy bloods and I realized once again, why I love Delroy Lindo so much. And the, the big reason besides seeing all the spikes work, why I've been loving him so much is because he's amazing on this show. And so is Christine Baranski and the rest of the cast. And I really like the good wife, but I think the good fight is actually possibly even better than the good wife and so i highly recommend it i know that they only released seven episodes of their new 13 season because of covid and everything so it's like only three and a half seasons but it is just i would say one of the best shows on television right now and so yeah it was a pretty busy week and um as for a dad moment in cinema i mean obviously you could point to the rope scene in Defy Bloods. Oh my God, it's and incredible. It's, it's so I, I mean, hands down, that was one of two moments I think I've cried the most this year. I think the other one that I cried the most was one of the last screenings I saw, which was in Onward. Damn it, Ryan, you're choosing all of my picks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, well, I mean, we haven't really had a lot of great movie moments this year but well, it, well you should have only said one and stuck with one damn it I'm sorry I, it's hard I, they were the only two that made me cry and uh, <laughs> yeah, the of I'll let Mac go into more about it but no they're those are great moments and um but it's it's 
it's kind of hard to pick because there's not so many, but those are obviously great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially those final moments and onward, like you said before. I, too, got misty-eyed when I saw that in the theater this year. Kaya? Um, this week I watched Hale County this morning, this evening, which I know a lot of people didn't enjoy, but I liked it a lot. I was quite surprised. Then I watched Denis Villeneuve's Polytechnique, Mm. um, which was a hard watch. Yeah. It was good. Um, and then I watched, um, Room 55, which is, um, the director of St. Maud. It's one of her short films from a couple years ago. And it was fantastic. It's on Vimeo for free, so you can watch it. Um, And then I rewatched two of the longest movies ever. I rewatched The Irishman and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Both fantastic. Nice. Oh, wow. Love it. Yeah. And then a favorite movie dad moment from this year. Um, Either, yeah, Delroy Lindo and just Jonathan Majors, everything they did in The Five Bloods. And then also um, one of the last scenes in Swallow is a conversation that the main character has with her father oh. that she oh. has never met before. And it just what broke me. What a wonderful choice. Yeah, yeah, that was excellent. I can't remember that character actor's name, but he's been popping up in a ton of stuff lately. And he's been yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I Matt, can't remember Dennis, his name, but he was in Dennis Late Night. Dennis O'Hare. Dennis O'Hare, yes. Dennis O'Hare. God, I love him. I just love him. I don't know why he doesn't have more awards than he does. Seriously. Mm-hmm. He should have won for He's... one of the first seasons, first four or five seasons of American Horror Story. D- agreed. He's so great. Or True Blood. Oh, my God. Oh, chills. I'm getting chills. Oh my God. So for this week, um, I saw a movie that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet. We will, we will be allowed to talk about it tomorrow, which is Irresistible. That's uh, John Stewart's yeah. uh, newest movie. Yeah. So, it's... Oh, and by the way, if you hear um, banging in the background, it's probably fireworks. I don't know why, but for some reason, those are really hot in New York right now at the moment. Oh, Lord, I can't. <laughs> I watched uh, Baby Teeth which is one of the best streaming titles I have seen so far this year. Um, Eliza Scanlon is a huge star, if anyone didn't know it already, from Sharp Objects and Little Women. And she gives a terrific performance here. And um, having Essie Davis and Ben Mendelsohn on screen also helped uh, dramatically. I mean, this was a really, really, really good uh, small indie film. Watched uh, one of Dan Baer's favorite movies uh, from this year, Aviva. My absolute favorite movie of this year. Beautiful, unconventional, expressive, gorgeous. But I have to admit, I I really wasn't able to follow it narratively. But my God, was it sublime. I was hooked into this movie's technique. And everything it was doing with that damn camera. I mean, holy hell. <laughs> so it's so good. And it's so small. So I really like you will never see anything like this movie. Do it. Pay whatever you can. Find it and rent it. It's more than worth it. It's definitely an experience. I, I will. I, and I will vouch for it, too. Maybe not as enthusiastically as Dan. But yeah, I definitely would say it's worth seeking out. Um, you know, what's a movie that I, I wish that I would have left alone. Uh, you should have left uh, with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a bad combination. Oh, man. I, I mean, like. It had some interesting things it was trying to play with, but the execution, the writing just wasn't there. Um, 
I thought Kevin Bacon, though, did a solid job, and it was nice seeing him on screen for the first time since Patriots Day. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see what, ha- what, he, what he does next. Uh, watch 7500 on Amazon Prime with Joseph Gordon-Lovett, and that is a movie that came out 15 years too late, if you ask me. But as far as claustrophobic uh, suspenseful thrillers go, it got the job done, and I was, you know, I was still riveted by it. It just didn't feel timely, and it didn't really feel necessary as far as, like, a story to be told, honestly. Um, and then, t- to Dan's point before, uh, rewatch Poor Trivial Lady on Fire um, for the podcast, and you guys can hear our thoughts on that. Favorite dad moment? I mean, the ones that you all mentioned are excellent, and I just want to say something slightly different. For those of you that saw Bad Boys for Life... <laughs> There is a plot twist in that movie, which I will not reveal here. (laughs) But I will say, I thought that Will Smith gave a much better than that movie ever needed performance for that type of movie. (laughs) I was like genuinely surprised. I was like, wow, Will Smith is like, like this could be like a top 10, like best Will Smith performance of all time I'm seeing right now, (laughs) you know, like. And, it, and a lot of that had to do with um, the material and uh, tying into those fatherly themes. So uh, there you go. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you, you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? okay. That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy it. That's just how it works. All right. So now what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the big news from this week announced a day after our podcast went up last week (laughs) Ah, so the academy of motion picture arts and sciences met to decide the fate of the 93rd academy awards at the board of governors meeting it was decided the oscars will be pushed back to april 25th 2021 and in doing so the eligibility window has been extended from december 31st 2020 to february 28th 2021 Proceed. I, I, look, I, I get moving the ceremony back. I do. I really, really do. But pushing back the eligibility window, considering all they've done to expand the the field this year with, you know, saying, you know, like if you debut on streaming, you will still be uh, considered for an Oscar and all the movies that have been come out and how good they've been, you know, some of them. And 
in small movies that just wouldn't normally get this kind of a boost. And I think that this move is in very bad faith with the movies that have been with the smaller movies that have had no problems releasing. And it feels like they just, they want to make sure that the studios aren't scared to release their big movies because, Oh no, what do we do about ratings? (laughs) I, I disagree. I, I kind of understand where they're coming from because they're in a position they've never been in. Like this, this has never happened before. So They've done all they can, but I also think you have to remember that the Oscars monetarily help these films, whether you get one nomination or you get 13 nominations. Mm -hmm. And because of that, if they jam all these movies to come out by the end of December, there's not going to be the theater space for them. Assuming that theaters are open. Well, let's assume that theaters are open there's not going to be enough space to release all these films. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. It's so from that standpoint, I understand giving them a little extra time. I doubt anyone's going to shoot a movie in January and drop it before the end of February. Where's Clint Eastwood? Where is Clint Eastwood? You have to, you have to think of this too. And I kind of agree a little bit more with Amanda is some of these films that are slotted in their slots towards the end of the year. They may still be in pre-production. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, post-production. So they may have things like score or some special effects that still might need to be worked on that can't be done within the confines of home. And so that gives the studios two extra months to get those films ready. Now, I do think theaters will be open because they are going to be open. If not by the end of July, they will be open in August. But that does then still cram the new releases all within uh, a four-month time frame because they're going to want to have – and they're not going to have 100% capacity at these theaters until we have a vaccine. So with that, you're going to have to give them a little bit more time, and we don't know exactly what's going to be released. I mean, movies keep getting pushed back, so – well, so I think it's I, I think it's a good move. Can, can I offer a counterpoint? I want to offer a counterpoint to this because I actually think that points are being made on both sides here, and I think they're good points. Here's my one pushback. Yes, Ryan, I definitely agree with you that the extra two months do it does help the films that needed that extra time that would have made that November December release to now maybe come out in that January February slot potentially it makes perfect sense. I totally understand it. And that might do well to help this year's Oscars. Mm-hmm. I was personally looking forward to a year where movies like Emma or Never Rarely, Sometimes Always or First Cow could be in contention in really major categories because of the lack of competition. Yeah. Now, during this time, movies have not been actually in production, which leaves an even bigger gap than what we are currently facing yep. for 2021. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be better to have those movies that were supposed to be those late yep. con- releasing contenders pushed out to 2021 to help pad things out? Because as of exactly. right now, it feels like they're trying to take care of this from a temporary solution standpoint, and they're not thinking long term. Well, I, exactly. I, I, no, I, I think th- it is a temporary. I think it is a temporary solution because I do actually think it will have a ripple effect into the next Oscars. I don't think that they will have a February um, dates. I think they'll have a January one again. 
the next year and yes. then they will go back to it being a regular December. I think that they already know that. Um, that's why they are, they are doing it this way. But Matt, I mean, you look at something like you mentioned never really sometimes always, and you, you, you look at something like first cow, first of all, first cow hasn't even screened, uh, you know, had a release. No, it had a it limited, screened. it had a limited release in New York and LA. It has. It, it had a limited release, it yeah. It did. It had a it, very limited release. A very limited right before the shutdown. Right. right? So Correct. I mean people aren't I mean, people aren't even going to be able to see that. Can't see it right now. They've A twenty four has not even released it for streaming. They might be able to go within this extra time frame and be able to give it a proper run. You look at something like, you know, never really sometimes always. That movie was probably going to be a Gotham's and indie spirit. Yes, I don't think it, that it that was, was. Ever going to be an Oscar play, and I still think it can be an indie spirit play. Realistically, there's only about a handful of films from the first part of the year that oh. were go- that have been released on streaming platforms. Everyone can see them right now. That actually have a legitimate chance that will make it all the way. That's probably. But they like had the more of a legitimate chance before this eligibility change. Now they have much less. Mm-hmm. But to add to what Ryan's saying, I think there are films that they're just waiting to release that are finished completely. Oh, de- definitely. Yeah, and so for those films, like if they even if they kept the eligibility period, all of a sudden all of those films, like in November or December would either have a release date or they just start streaming. So I think what they, you know, there's never going to be a perfect system for this. And they've never been in this situation before where they can review this. So I think like, as long as filming, let's say filming of the film is done by December 31st, and maybe they need another month to finish any editing or visual effects or sound mixing, to release it in the end of January or February is fine. Same thing with like, okay, if a movie starts filming in the January 2021, that movie will compete with the 2021 crowd. I mean, they're going to have to do a little bit. They're going to have to get more, more in the weeds on it. Yeah, they're going to have to fine tune it a little bit. But I, I do think that there are films that they're just like, you know what? This movie is great. We're just going to hold it. Mm. And that's probably like i mean i just saw something about like aaron sorkin's chicago seven the trial mm-hmm. of chicago seven like that's obviously ready if they're willing to sell it to netflix yeah they're clearly just holding it because they want to release it closer to the oscars so the other thing that also i think we need to pay attention to in regards uh to this this shift now is since movies uh that get the qualifying run in january and february uh, like you got to ask yourself, what role does Sundance and the Berlin International Film Festival play now into all of this? <laughs> Some advertising producer really could make finally capitalize on Sundance buzz after failing to do so for the past however many years. It could be huge. Potentially, I I don't know. I don't see it happening. But look at a film like Minari, though, for example, that came into Sundance this year already yeah. with a buyer from A24 with a committed yeah. release at some point later in the year. All they'd have to do is release it sooner. Film's already finished. Yeah. And if yeah, something but, gets yeah. that kind of word, good word of mouth and buzz, why wouldn't you suddenly make that a big push? Well, I, I again, you don't know what's coming. Um, and also, I, I would... I would again add that 
you know, they give awards to bring attention to the industry. Mm. So ultimately they want people to see these movies and, and that is going to hurt the films if they cannot get people in the theaters. It hurts the theaters. It hurts a lot of other, you know, industries. So it makes sense to wait. And, you know, I know this is a horrible example, but if we all have a little bit more time to think between February and April, we might actually not see as much rubber stamping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might actually we might not see. And you know, it's not a good example because it it didn't you know lead to the result we all wanted. But do remember, broke back. This is how crash upset broke back mountain. So I mean, again, not the best example, but we do see some more upsets when there's a little bit more time to think about these films. It also does make me uh, wonder as well, does award season technically now start in September this year, like it usually would? Or because of the two-month shift, are the studios and everybody else going to view November as the official kickoff for this year's award season? Because if it is elongated by an extra two months, my God, I can't even imagine like just the mental strain that's going to put on everybody. I think that depends on can they have film festivals? Yeah. So can they have Toronto? Can they have Venice? Can they have Middleburg? If they right. can't have the yeah, if they can't have these large events, then no, there's really no big official kickoff until November or December, or it doesn't matter. And we're all going to be watching streaming movies anyways well for the record i will just say really quick that as of last week not only is telluride still technically happening but my plane is booked my airbnb is booked and i've gotten emails even from some of the studios (laughs) asking me if i'm still going and i said yes because they're trying to get a temperature gauge on who's going so that's that's now you don't know if there's a second wave coming and everybody's gonna be like keep your butt in your house no you're right you're 100 right that could happen um, I agree with Dan. Like, at first I was feeling like, okay, smaller movies are gonna kind of push forward this year because how are big movies going to come out? But now with this um, prolonged eligibility, I feel like smaller films are going to get swept under the rug and going to get forgotten. It's And listen, that was always going to happen in a regular yeah. year without yeah. COVID anyway, because that's the way it always works. Mm-hmm. I think what I hate about this was that we all got our expectations up, and especially when they announced a couple of weeks ago that streaming titles would be eligible given the current situation. Exactly. And I, I got really excited at the idea of an Oscar year that didn't look like a traditional Oscar year in terms of the movies that were in contention. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was looking forward to them digging deep for something really obscure or just something that you normally wouldn't see in the conversation. And it's just can... disappointing now because we like they have not. Films that would be released for next year's award season would be starting now or, you know, like in the second half of this year. And Mm -hmm. they are not going to be able to. So what (laughs) other than something like In the Heights, which has been, you know, finished and is being purposely held to next year, like there's not much to be released then. And unless you have, you know, Ridley Scott and Clint Eastwood making all the movies in Hollywood for a year, <laughs> which like, I'm sure they'd love. Um, <laughs> are they going to make movies fast enough to qualify for the next year's Oscars when we have a full 10 best picture nominees again? Well, I think, I think you have to think about this though, Dan, 
is that two out of the last four best pictures, we had no idea what those movies were until they hit Toronto. We had no idea about Green right. Book or Moonlight until they got there. Well, and we so had no we idea still, about them, but they had started. They had yes, but, but no. What we're saying, what I'm saying is, is that there was a production and everything, but we didn't know those movies existed until they were premiered at a film festival. And I'm trying, and I know it sounds like I'm like I'm making, you know, it sounds weird, but what I'm saying is, is that th- we might not. There might be a best picture winner that we still don't know is out there that is filmed and that is just missing a couple of pieces. And maybe, to Matt's point, maybe it does go to Sundance. I don't think so. I think it's going to go to the fall film festivals. I do personally believe that Telluride will still happen, even though the question is, will it happen? Yeah, I think it will. Should it happen? Probably not. That being said, it's going to happen. They're going to have films there. Something could show up there that none of us have even thought about that's on the board, and it pops up and it surprises. Or it could be one of the big players that we've already probably all covered and looked at and thought about, um, you know, and, and really dissected and think it's going to be a big player. And look, Netflix is going after Sorkin film. They're going to play, have Mank. They're going to have the five bloods as well. They are not going and campaigning. Maybe that their ch- strategy changes now, you know, maybe they campaign not saying in 2020, maybe in 2021, like in the first, those two months, like Matt's saying, but you have an interesting thing where I still think September is where it officially begins. The campaigning money is going to probably have to be stretched out longer. But I still think that this idea that the movies from the beginning of the year, um, that we all thought that that was going to be the case. I mean, as history has shown, that's never been the case. Uh, maybe it's just me and I never got my hopes up like that. And usually there's about one or two films that break through. Um, I still think that's going to be defy bloods and quite possibly it's could be in the invisible woman or I'm sorry, the invisible man, invisible man. Sorry. (laughs) I always think of it because it's a female lead. You know what I mean? But Um, she's not invisible. I know. I I mean, yeah, yes, I know. We, we're not reviewing that. She is invisible at one point. That's very true. That's that's true. Um, I mean, in the uh, end, what I'm saying is that, you know, I think that the season was always going to be like this and, or, or I'm sorry, Matt. Our hopes were always going to, you know, be a little dashed by it. But sure, you know. But I think we're ultimately in a wait and see, because regardless, I think these film, the films that were going to come out, you know, I mean, Dan, you and I definitely bitched about having to pay twenty bucks to see The King of Staten Island. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I mean, if they want to release, you know, one of these movies, they could just literally charge us like thirty or forty bucks to run it through our streaming service. If you know, no one's still going to theaters. I mean, there is, there are ways. I think that there are films that were in production and where production had to stop. Who will will ultimately be pushed to twenty twenty one? And I think you know, In the Heights is a perfect summer film, so it makes sense why they would just hold it for next summer. Yeah, but I think, I think it, ultimately, realistically, in the first six seven months of the year, we don't see, you know, typically our best picture winner. But we could have, is what I'm saying. Oh, it may not have been the yeah. winner, but like it would have many, meant so. that people would have had to. You know, or not have had to, but people could have looked at something like Haley Bennett in Swallow. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say, you know what? That was one of the best female lead actress performances this year. And now that they're extending it for another three months or two months or whatever, like that they're not going to feel the need to do that because they're going to have two months more of movies. They were never going to yeah, do that, exactly. is my point. They were never going to have to do that. They were always find a way. Well, to they might have. They might, you can't have it both ways, though. Like, you're saying that this is good because all the, all these films will now have, I mean, not necessarily you specifically, but you as the collective you who are on the side of no, supporting. <laughs> like, like, you can't say that both the now it's good that they extended it because now we'll have all these all these movies and they'll have time to finish and all this and you can also say but yeah they were never going to look at the early movies anyway because we would have had all these movies at the end of the year there might be a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that like yeah the intention never was that they were going to give um attention to these movies i can understand that viewpoint I think they just led us to believe that they would when they announced the whole streaming titles would qualify thing. And that's what I mean when I say certain expectations were uh, heightened. Another thing I will just say next year, the new rules will be in place anyway, where they're going to have the quarterly screenings. So people who want to, who people who want the smaller films to get the attention will finally Mm -hmm. get their due in, in an actual process the following year. One other thing I want to just say here as a result of the date moving, of course, we saw other dates move. Independent Spirit Awards, day before the Oscars, they were moved. BAFTAs were also moved. Um, the Cannes Film Festival will be staying, however, in May. That is not moving. Same thing with the Berlin International Film Festival, which will take place from February 20th to March 1st at the very, very end of the qualifying window. Um, and speaking of the qualifying window, one other thing I wanted to say, it's going to be really fucking weird looking back on history if a film uh, is released in 2021 and it's nominated for the 2020 Oscars, a.k.a. we go by film year, not ceremony year. <laughs> My head is going to explode. Well, I mean, we've kind of we've kind of had the opposite happen with The Hurt Locker. Yeah, yeah, no. And then still to this day, it confuses it's people. It's weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's weird. But I mean, that that's, that's, like that's where we're like living in. At a festival and it just held off to release you know, in theaters. Yeah. This is a film that's actually going to be released in theaters in February of 2021. But we're going to say it's the best film of 2020. Are you freaking kidding me? I I think it's really easy, ultimately, (laughs) to criticize. It it is. It's really easy to criticize. They're in a a horrible situation. I mean, let's face it. Any award, the Grammys are in a horrible situation. The, the oh, Emmys think... are not in a horrible situation, but, you know, they, they're they doing the best they can. There's no perfect way of doing this. And ultimately, I think the films that are were ready to release, whether they were going to extend the period or they're just going to charge us 50 bucks to run them in our homes, they're going to find a way to get that movie out. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. I think the, the one thing about Sundance and South by Southwest for next year, you need to probably be more concerned about then you know is if an awards contender for the late breaking oscar thing is going to happen is if they can fill an entire slate and if they of new movies things that have not been shown if productions and everything can't get back to normal by the end of the year 
it, I mean, it could be very tough for, it could be an abridged version of those festivals if they do return. That's yeah. the bigger thing that you could have to worry about, in my opinion, from those festivals. Because, and because I think a lot of places, you know, they were able to stream stuff and have their own things or, uh, you know, Amazon or Netflix were able to buy a lot of these movies. Um, you know, the, to have those film festivals, I think they're going to see a rippling effect as well. So it's, it, there's a lot of factors in here and it's, I think it's just devastating overall. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. no one's a winner here. And so it just, and it sucks. Yeah. All right. So a film that's actually going to be released on streaming that did premiere at Sundance. Look at all these tie-ins here. Uh, it's going to be on Hulu on July 10th. It's actually the biggest acquisition in the Sundance Film Festival history. We got a trailer for it this week here. This is the trailer for Palm Springs. Let's take a look at this one and give some thoughts. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are. Standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You! What is going on? Hey, get out of the water! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker? That didn't work. <laughs> Let's waste some time. You want to uh, dance? Know the officiant? He's got a bag of sweets in his pocket. You were right. Got him. I can't keep waking up in here. Everything that we are doing is meaningless. I hope it's not all meaningless. At least you have each other. Nothing worse than going through this shit alone. There's a bomb in the cake. Don't worry. I used to be a bomb guy. Stand back! I think it looks delightful, and I personally am an Andy Samberg agnostic. So <laughs> that's high praise. <laughs> yep. I think it looks good. I I actually kind of like these Groundhog Day repeat films, so it'll be mm -hmm. kind of fun. Andy Samberg for Best Actor, y'all. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> 
Um, but no bullshit. In all honesty, surprise screenplay contender potentially. As as someone who's seen the movie at Sundance, um, this was one of the most charming, funniest, creative movies I saw at the fest. It reminded me in a very positive way of one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I think that when you guys uh, see it, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised that the movie has a very mature beating heart to its comedy. I'll be up at midnight okay. watching this movie. Um, <laughs> I love Andy Samberg. I still watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it looks good. Um, I've been an Andy Samberg fan since I was a kid. Um, and it just looks really fun. I love the Groundhog Day stuff. Cool. So... Uh, we look forward to seeing that one. And also, too, guys, J.K. Simmons has a supporting role in that where he's a who. He is really, really genuinely funny in it. Austin number two. Austin. <laughs> Amanda, I will not let you make fun of me for the rest of the podcast on this issue. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm all on board for it. I love J.K. Oh, oh, oh. I thought yeah, because I of the whole streaming title thing, that. I thought yeah. that you were poking fun. <laughs> no, he, that's how he got his first Oscar was through Sundance. I'm all for it. Yeah, no, he he's great in the movie. Um, I, I don't think he's an awards player, uh, but he, he it it's great seeing J.K. Simmons do a comedic role here. So... Does he have more to do in this than La La Land? Yes. <laughs> Good question. He was so pissed. I'm like, he had what, two minutes of screen time in La La Land. He, he snapped his fingers so well. Um, <laughs> a little bit of uh, news here uh, just to go around really quick. Uh, so Robert De Niro, Anne Hathaway, Oscar Isaac, Donald Sutherland are all joining Kate Blanchett for James Gray's next film, Armageddon Time. This is a 1980s coming-of-age story that's taking place in Queens. Uh, New York is, uh, tech, you know, where James Gray's uh, earlier work comes from, and it looks like he's returning back to that after uh, going big with movies like Lost City of Z and Ad Astro. Oh, what yeah. do we think here? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, it sounds great, but we'll me. see. I mean, that's one hell of a cast. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that cast I mean, is crazy. crazy. I would be marking this down right now for whatever Oscar year this qualifies for. I would immediately be putting this down as a potential contender because James Gray's career feels like it's heading in that trajectory where he's going to get nominated at some point. So I would be on the I would be on the lookout for that. Other bit of news. Kristen Stewart set to play Princess Diana and Pablo Lorraine Spencer. They're saying that this is going to take uh, the bit of the Jackie route in terms of how they portray Princess Diana. What do you guys think of this one? Jackie I'm was so, so good. Intrigued. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Mm. And I get that yeah. she's a beloved figure, and I understand why people are like, why couldn't she find a British actress? You don't hear Americans complaining every time you play a famous American. <laughs> I, I, no, that's I just true. want to point that out. Nobody that, makes it known. Also, too, it's important to note that even in a movie like uh, Seaberg, which admittedly was not good, she made that movie watchable with her biopic mm. performance. She's she's one of the best <laughs> actresses working today. She yeah. really is. And the fact that she doesn't get her due still from so many people because of Twilight, which was yep. ages ago. Come on, people, let it mm -hmm. die, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That it's not even that bad. bad. Yeah. No. No, and they never, I mean, even the critics always praised her performance. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's not the fault yeah. that she, the movie around her wasn't great. <laughs> and that the mm -hmm. character is terribly written. 
I will yeah. say this though. I, as much as I, I, I hope she does a really good job, and I did really love Jackie. I saw everyone go out and say, "Why wasn't this Elizabeth Debicki?" And I saw pictures side by side, and I was like, "Oh, damn, that would have been really good too." Yeah, <laughs> like so. I can't blame you for that. I can't. I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, blame anybody for that, but I'm sure Kristen Stewart is going to do an amazing job. I mean, she's the only American actress to ever win a Cesar Award, so that's got to mean something, huh. folks. I mean, look, the bar for Princess Diana biopics is <laughs> so you know, like let's let's hold off. Yeah. If we can bring Michael Levy back for the score, I'm yes, okay. please. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh. The costume designers uh, from Jackie, oh, yeah, man. all around. Yes, yeah, all around. Bring the whole team back. I will say the one thing that could trip this movie up is they they need to time it perfectly because the Crown season four yeah. will have a lot of Princess Diana. She's an mm. unknown British actress, so you mm. you know it's it's kind of the same thing with Gary Oldman, John Lithgow. A lot can sometimes be well. It worked out great for both of them. Yeah, it worked out it for both. It did, but it <laughs> could have been it could have been one of those things where it's like Lithgow did it better or true. Just True. Never know. You just never know sometimes. So I'm just saying, you know, this one is going to maybe come down to the timing. But again, Brits play famous Americans all the time. Yeah, we don't like fishing <laughs> morning every time that happens. So it could be like a Capote infamous kind of thing. Yeah, you know that would mean? be amazing. You never know. And this, it's the same thing with Robert Pattinson. His career is taking off again. I think they've, they've laid low long enough, both of them, that. Mm-hmm. They deserve a second look. And definitely in a more mainstream spotlight, for sure. I agree. Yeah. Speaking of uh, someone uh, popping back into the spotlight again, it looks like the Mike Tyson biopic is indeed moving forward with Jamie Foxx portraying the controversial boxer. And boy, oh boy, I'm intrigued, I have to say. I smell I smell an Oscar nom. I smell a sec a, a third, sorry, a third Oscar uh nomination for uh Jamie Foxx, especially considering how close mm-hmm. he came last year. Was he? He I mean, really should have been. He got him. that SAG nomination, Amanda. You should know of all people. I, I know, but he didn't show up anywhere else, is my I mean. He should have been nominated. Well, it was a late breaking release. They held on to that for too long. If they had released it earlier, I think he could have broken they through. Really well, but here's the thing, though. This has Oscar bait written all over it. I mean, yeah. the guy's packing on all the muscle. He's going to have to change his voice a little bit. He's going to have to be physical for the role. You know, it's it's a crazy character, you know, with a lot of ups and downs. He knows how to do the impression, too. I would just say that, <sighs> and I know you guys talked about it a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so. He has this really bad comedy that's going to be coming out. Uh, that is not going to pull any punches and could really offend a lot of people. So, uh, and also Mike Tyson is a very controversial figure as well. So just be ready for that whole thing. And I wouldn't lock him in just yet, you know, for, well, if the best actor, uh, category has taught us anything over the last decade, it is, if your film has any bit of controversy with film Twitter, you typically win the Oscar for best actor. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. You're Maybe he'll actually deserve the Oscar this time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. All right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hop yeah, on that. I'm, I'm gonna let that one die, and I'm gonna let the, uh, MVP film community, uh, leave a comment or two or slide into your DMs for that one there, Dan. 
Whoa. All right. I'm just saying he won for the wrong performance that year in the wrong category. Moving on. Okay. Uh, next trailer. <laughs> <laughs> next trailer is another Sundance film uh, that I also had the uh, pleasure of seeing. Uh, but I was so happy that this finally got a trailer for people to check out. Sean Durkin is back since his directorial debut for Marfa Marcy May Marlene. And this here is called The Nest, starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Let's take a look at this one. I think we need to move. What are you talking about? I thought things were great. Mm -mm. Things are dried up here. This would be our fourth move in 10 Ten years. Backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. <laughs> How about this? Oh my god. It's perfect, I know. That's what we always wanted. Is it? You're embarrassing. <sighs> And you're exhausting. I paid our rent. I paid for Ben's school. I bought you a car. I bought you a horse. I paid for construction on your barn. You're delusional. I'll make money for us. For us? It's not for us. It's so you can go to fancy parties and tell people we have horses. For the first time in years, I feel worthwhile. I feel powerful. You're a poor kid pretending to be rich. We don't have any friends here. We don't have any family. What does it matter so much to you? Because I deserve this! A lot more! Give it to me. <laughs> I'm hungry for the acting. You had me at Jude Law and Carrie Cohn. Oh, um, yeah. It looks like more like exactly. his talented Mr. Ripley persona. I mean, he's been so hit or miss that I, I really hope if this is a hit, he gets the attention he should. This is his best performance, in my opinion, since like that era for him uh he hasn't been this good in in a long time in my opinion not even anna karenina like he's better in this than anna karenina. i do like him in anna karenina that's a good point he's so good in anna karenina he's so great in that film and that oh he's so beautifully quiet in that movie you'd never this one i just want carrie coon to go on an awards run and finally get the justice that she deserves for not getting nominated for gone girl and not getting yeah. nominated for the left. Yes. Every damn season. Uh, yes. She should have won. She's amazing. She and we've done her dirt. For Fargo. Because she was as good oh, in the Fargo. Come on, Fargo too. Oh, oh my as, God. As Frances McDormand was in the original. She is the closest they've ever gotten to. Tracy Letts is a lucky man. I think we all love her. I think it's very, very clear that people are slowly starting to catch on the fact that she is this incredibly talented actress. And I can tell you all right now, as someone who's also a very, very big fan of hers, this was definitely a group. I don't want to say great. Uh, let's go with good. A good showcase role for her talents that I think will not give her the awards run, not give her the Oscar win, but will definitely put her on the radar of a lot of people to get that eventual run. That's my that's my prediction with this. If she She's were like, to be nominated, would it be lead or supporting? Just out of curiosity. Oh, they're both they're both leads. Lead actor, lead okay. actress. hundred okay. percent. Well lead's a little bit harder sometimes to sneak into, so I'm just curious. I got real I got real Shirley vibes watching the trailer. That's another thing too. I want to clarify something really quickly. The trailer is making this look like it's like 
maybe a suspense thriller or something like that. Yeah. I even saw one person tell me, oh, is this like a horror movie? Like, what is this? And I was like, guys, guys, it's a drama. That's a pot boiler. It builds and it builds and it builds and it suspends. And then eventually, like Revolutionary Road, that shit explodes. So. Oh, so who's Michael Shannon in the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Michael Shannon of the film. (laughs) Anyway, one to definitely look forward to. I don't think it's going to be a big deal awards wise, but I think it's definitely going to be a film that people really like. So I'm looking forward to you all checking it out. Maybe Indie Spirits. Maybe. I mean, pretty much every film that's at Sundance is a qualified sure. indie spirit contender. So, sure. <laughs> sure. All right, let's take a look at the polls here. So uh, we're going to go over the polls for last week and for uh, this week. So last week, uh, with the announcement of 10 Best Picture nominees, uh, not for this year's Oscars, want to keep on telling people that it's not for this year, it's for the next year, regardless of which, we asked everyone which Best Picture contenders that didn't receive a best picture nomination because they didn't have a straight 10 nominees they had this damn sliding scale if there were 10 nominees which one of those best picture contenders would you like to have seen get that nomination lots of choices here obviously pga contenders did not get best picture uh nominations there were golden globe nominees that didn't get best picture nomination there were a lot of precursors that sometimes add to the hype of a film getting a best picture nomination and then also too sometimes nomination morning a high nomination count where's that best picture nomination so with all that said from 2011 up until 2019 i want to hear from everyone here kyle let's start with you which movie pained you the most that it did not get that Best Picture nomination. Definitely Jackie. Like, Ooh, that yeah. That hurts my soul. Oh, yeah. And it was def. I, I, I think Jackie it's was so close. Fantastic. Yeah, I think it was definitely close. I know, Amanda, I know you put out a great article the other day, and I loved your argument for Nocturnal Animals. Loved it. Thank you. No, I hate <laughs> that movie. Hey, I put out a great argument. I didn't say it was. No, great- I agree. I agree. I My agree. argument makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amanda, what, which one's yours, though? Uh, bridesmaids, for one specific reason, and I think everyone needs to remember this when they go forward with picking a 10. It's not just about diversity. It's also about inclusion of populist films. And they had the opportunity with Bridesmaids to nominate a film that had PGA, WGA, SAG, BAFTA, it had the right combination of nominations and critical and box office support that it should have been in, and in a top 10, it would have been in. And that was the point of a top 10 the first time, was to get a film like The Dark Knight in, and they kept missing and missing and missing. And I love independent films, but you know what? If they're just going to nominate 10 of the same kind of movies, but they're a little bit more diverse, you're going to see this rolling scale come back. All right. Ryan, which one is yours? Which best picture hopeful? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, Matt. I'm going to pick two. Um, Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> okay. I mean, that movie okay. deserves all the love in the world. And then If Bill Street Could Talk. I just never God, I understand 
why, you know, it, it, it obviously was loved by the Academy for Regina to win. I think Barry was very close to winning another Oscar for screenplay. I just don't understand why it didn't land that bigger. Score. And, and that's, Oh my God, Dan, that, yeah. Uh, those, it's so great. Oh my God. The flutes. That's all I need mm. to say. I'm actually a hundred percent aligned with you there, Ryan. Uh, Beale street is my choice as well, actually, as the one that I was like, damn it. I, man, <laughs> like it should have been I didn't there. I know we could pick two, or I would have picked that one. Well, <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I told the MVP film community that they could choose up to ten, but we would have been here for another half an hour. So I'm trying to whittle this down a little bit. <laughs> Dan Bear, what, what what's your one? What's your one choice? <laughs> Carol. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, come on. Six nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Best movie of the year. Like, oh. like come on, people, come on. And that is the most nominations for a film not to have received the Best Picture nomination. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's see what the MVP film community had to say about it. Uh, Top 10 here, starting off at number 10. Now, reminder, this isn't based on precursors, what they think was the closest to a Best Picture nomination. This is like a popularity contest in terms of which movies they wanted to get in there. Mm. So number 10. Is Nightcrawler Ooh. starring Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, that's a good one. Different. Poor Jake that Gyllenhaal. I think if Jake Gyllenhaal had actually made it, like if the passion was there for him, I think that that passion could have carried the film over potentially in a year of ten. Not even just him, but Renee Russo got a, a BAFTA nomination. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, totally. So much. He's so friggin' good in that. Number number nine, Inside Lewin Davis. Right. Uh, one of the Coen brothers bests in my opinion number eight Christopher Nolan's interstellar okay mm-hmm. no that that makes sense that goes back to what yeah. Amanda was saying about a big movie and yeah. no one's been loved by the Academy and it just missed out I think that year they don't like Christopher Nolan a lot for some reason <laughs> he has a hard time with the Oscars. <laughs> number seven Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How he missed screenplay. It had the acting branch for sure, but... Yeah. I, I have no idea how the hell it missed screenplay. I really don't. Uh, that movie, I think, is a stone-cold masterpiece on the same levels There Will Be Blood, and I just don't understand why people couldn't recognize that. And they love PTA. I mean, they love nominating him. Just give him a damn win. Yep. Now and then we're, we're, we're <laughs> <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Number six. Mm-hmm. Carol. Yep. Wow. Yes. Kind of surprised that's a little low. <laughs> I think it is a little low, yeah. I'd agree. It's a very quiet film, so that it kind of... Number five. The only animated film to make the list, Inside Out. Yep. Of course. Easy peasy. Yep, should have. I love that movie, too. (laughs) Number four. Another 2015 film, Ex Machina. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. 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 And the one Vikander... Did actually win the Oscar for it. In my mind, still to this day, she won for Ex Machina. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's yeah. this other movie yeah, that people yeah, put down in the that's history books. What she won for? I mean, come on. In, in her mind, head too, she's Oscar like, Isaac's won Best Supporting Actor. Hey, he should have definitely been nominated for that. Absolutely, oh, wow. he did tear up that dance God, floor. Yes. He did tear Seriously. up that dance floor. <laughs> Number three, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Never was going to happen. It, 
Interesting. You know, there was always a Tenet quality, especially after BAFTA nominated it for director, where it was like, are we about to see something like really crazy happen? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I agree with Amanda. It was never going to happen. But it was technically, I guess, in that conversation a little bit. I think I think mm-hmm. in the high nomination count and the high win count speaks to broad support. Not over Mudbound. I, I, no, no, definitely not over Mudbound or Itanya. No, God, no. Oh I'm, I'm just God. saying, no, that it got for it to get those, um, what was it, five nominations, I think it got, right? So they had a lot of, Roger Deakins had a lot of support. I think that would have been mm-hmm. probably the most obvious that yeah. they were ready to award him, that they, you know, sometimes they sneak a film in like that. Number two, If Beale Street Could Talk. Yep. Mm-hmm. And number one. <laughs> No surprise. Call it recency bias. Call it the box office success. Call it the Ryan Johnson factor. It's Knives <laughs> Out. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's fine. You should have been also nominated for Star Wars The Last Jedi. And I say that with all the love in my heart, yeah. too. Hey, Agreed. I actually like that the best of all three of them. So mm-hmm. It is the best of all three of them. 100%. Yeah, definitely. In retrospect now. Well, thank you to the MVP film community for voting for that. Uh, this week, we're asking you guys, uh, which is your favorite film from 2020 so far? Uh, we're not counting Sundance titles that have not received a uh, theatrical slash streaming release. But I did do my best to include as many of the uh, streaming titles as I possibly could. Of course, the write-in options are going to be there for you guys to be able to voice your opinions on stuff that's not on the list. I'm sorry, but movies like Bad Education and Miss America... uh, I'm sorry, um, Mrs. America, not Miss Americana. um, (laughs) Mrs. America, uh, do not count. Those are HBO miniseries and a movie for HBO. So Mrs. America was on FX. Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) She's right. So with that said, though... Ryan, what's been your favorite movie from 2020 so far? I mean, it was, it's, it's been, I think, a little bit of tough pickings for me at least. But Spike Lee's Defy Bloods is clearly the best picture of this year, the best film of this year, the most relevant picture I've seen, and probably since Black Klansman. Um, and I mean, Spike is at the top of his game right now. There's no one that can really top him in terms of social and cultural awareness in his movies and and really taking these this big depiction of these soldiers and the trauma that has shaped their entire lives and Delroy Lindo, Delroy Lindo, Delroy frickin' mm-hmm. Lindo. I mean his performance is just it's the best I've seen this year. Give Spike the Oscar for not screenplay, best director. I want to see it history. Give me history because he damn well deserves it. Hey, you know what, Ryan? That would have been very possible before they extended the eligibility window. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> no, it can still happen. Trust me. It's Delroy or bust, my friend. It's Delroy or bust. You know no, it to be see, true. No, I don't want to. I don't know. I'm not buying into that, man. That's no. that's that's under. Well, it's still early. Oh, it's still early. I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to stay in here and say I'm right and you're wrong because you're right. There's a lot to, that can still happen. Uh, but for now, that's what my gut's telling me. All right, good choice. I mean, excellent choice. And you put forth a great, great uh, supporting argument there. Amanda, favorite film of 2020 so far? 
I agree with Ryan. The Five Bloods. Uh, give them the bleeping Oscar for Best Director and allow somebody who's had a seasoned career to give an acceptance speech and be the first black, I say black director because Steve McQueen was British, uh, nominated to, to win. I think it's Delroy time, Lindo. Folks. I don't know if they're going lead or supporting. They'll figure that out themselves. There's an argument for both, but God, you don't get to give monologues like that. And you shouldn't be allowed to give a monologue, three monologues like that and be ignored by the Academy. Mm-hmm. If they ignore him, we need to get the bell and the nun from Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Shame, shame, shame. Shame. All right. Dan Baer, what about you? What's your favorite film from 2020 so far? Uh, My favorite is Aviva um, so far. And I'm just going to tell everyone, like, if you love movies and you find a lot of the things that have been released so far this year to be boring and average... I find it, rent it. Boaz Yakin is the director. It is completely unlike anything I've seen before. And I was riveted the whole way through. And especially if you like dance or musicals, it uses dance to tell the story in amazing, really inventive ways. Okay. Kaya? Um, I don't think it's the best film at all, but definitely my favorite is, is The Invisible Man. I just felt like that was such a visceral experience for me, seeing that in the theater. And Elizabeth Moss is fantastic. And that score is insane. And I will be very upset if I at least don't see a score nomination there. Okay. Uh, My favorite film of 2020 so far, uh, not counting Sundance, because my true favorite film from 2020 so far (laughs) is from there, and it hasn't been released yet. But... Um, is never really sometimes always, which did get released in time. And um, that was a movie that had a really, really profound impact on me. And I thought it was very well made. And Cindy Flanagan's uh, on-screen debut was just oh, God, maybe one good. of the, if not the breakthrough performance of the year for me, um, especially in the title scene of the movie itself. If you guys have not seen this movie, um, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. But it was a really, really emotional experience, to be sure, and one that I will not forget as the rest of the year goes on. So head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com, cast a vote on there, tell us your favorite film of 2020 so far. All right, one more trailer, then we get to fan questions. This trailer, not directed by James Franco, uh, directed by Dave Franco with his directorial debut, hopefully instead of his uh, brother being a... Uh, how do we say this? One hit and mostly missed director. Um, hopefully, uh, Dave can uh, show us his uh, directorial chops here. Uh, this is The Rental, uh, which is starring his uh, wife, Allison Bright, and Dan Stevens. Let's take a look at this one. Let me show you out back, and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. Thing in the morning. What's going on? I, I don't know. 
not okay, Charlie, all right? Stop being so calm. Everything is fine. like a solid debut you know but mm-hmm. i mean i've i've already heard some things about it and it's right it had that drive-in uh screening in los angeles yeah. right yeah that scott mance also mm-hmm. uh, he did the q a for it in his car which was like the most i felt like the whole thing was just really weird it was like the weirdest premiere or screening i think <laughs> i've ever heard of in my life but i heard i heard mostly good things it 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 really from what I can tell, it depends on there's going to obviously be a twist and you either buy into it or you don't. Well, that's what I was thinking too while watching this because I thought to myself the entire time, I'm like, it can't be like this. It can't be this bland. They're hiding something in this trailer. They have to be. The thing that interests the thing that interests me most is the Joe Swanberg writing credit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, I am here for a mumblecore home invasion thriller. I mean, Creep <laughs> was really good. And if this has some of the same sort of energy as that, I, I'm down for it. And uh, I love the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Alice, we know Alice and Brie and Dan Stevens are great and they're like chameleons the way they go from role to role and are so different. And um, I love Jeremy Allen White on Shameless. So yes. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see what he can do in, in a movie. Yeah. It reminded, it reminded me a little bit of what's that Netflix movie? The Invitation? Is yes. The like yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, That's what I'm hoping yeah. with this. I'm hoping it has yeah. like some element of that or. Um, Something like The Gift, maybe, where it's like yeah. I watched yeah. the trailer for both The Invitation and The Gift, and I'm like, okay, it's a thriller. Like, it looks competently well made. But then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, man, this is engaging. Like, this is great, you yeah. know? That's what I'm hoping for here. Yeah, I'm going to have to see a review of this before I'd actually pay money to watch it because <laughs> on paper, this is not a genre that interests me at all. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I'm gonna have to read a review. Make sure, like when I heard get there was a twist to get out. I'm like, okay, I'll stop now. I'll go see it. But mm-hmm. yeah, when it, they look like just your run of the mill weekend in the woods turn wrong, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, Amanda, good news. I have that link sitting in my email inbox. I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> you sending me the link would guarantee me seeing it, but <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> But I can let you know. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies. Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. 
The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right. So uh, now we're going to move over to our uh, fan submitted questions uh, for this week's episode. Let's take a look and see what the MVP film community had to send in for us here. Uh, Isaiah Washington asks, what is the worst movie uh, during the sliding scale years uh, that got nominated for Best Picture, in your opinion? Philomena. <laughs> that was quick. What? Oh, my Damn. God. It's a good movie. It did not deserve to be nominated for Best Picture over the f- other films, including The Hunger Games that came out that year. I would agree with that. I was just surprised that you were so quick with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of time to research this late, late recently. I actually do agree with Amanda. Philomena falls into that category of um, movies that were good, but did they deserve to be in the lineup? Movies like The Blind Side, or well, that doesn't count in this case, but like Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, for example. Like, it's, it's fine. But did it deserve to be in the Best Picture lineup? No. But I think the one really egregious, awful, I cannot stand this movie um, is Bohemian Rhapsody. And the fact that it won four of its five nominations, like, freaks the hell out of me that it might have come close to winning Best Picture that evening. <laughs> I would have rather yeah. it won the Green Book. It's hard, to, mm. it's hard to not say Bohemian Rhapsody, except that Green Book actually somehow won Best yeah. picture, which somehow makes it worse to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I could have lived with Bohemian Rhapsody winning over Green Book. I could have explained away, like, okay, they, you know, they feel for, you know, the cast and crew having to deal with the director. They love Queen right. so much. Yeah. But yeah. Spike Lee would not have stormed out of the room. With yeah, he, he would have yeah. just been like, okay, sure. Like, <laughs> that, that would be an Academy Gonna Academy moment. I got to. I gotta say, mine, American Sniper. I hate that movie. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah, that, that movie kind of ruins it. That movie the is. fake baby kills me every time. <laughs> Happy Father's Day from that <laughs> fake baby. <too. laughs> <laughs> breastfeeding this baby. I'm like, oh I'm like Clint Eastwood. You've been directing for how long, and you like, you just couldn't manage to get a kid on set that day. Like, come on. Yeah. Have you heard? Like, but have you heard Bradley Cooper like? Tell this story and like, the kid it's such bullshit. Like, Give me this. I just want to take another look at that baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. <laughs> gonna play catch with it one day. You know? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's great. Kaya, did you see yours? Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, okay. Awful, embarrassing. Teeth and all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Ooh, Daniel Brilliant at Film and Sports Twenty One asks, "Who is the best movie dad?" Juan from Moonlight. Yeah. Great choice. I don't know. He's not technically a dad, but I think he is definitely I think he a dad. pretty much is the closest Father. thing Chiron ever has to one. And mm-hmm. that scene—I mean, the swimming sequence in the water—it's it's foundational for for that character's life. And yeah. that scene where he's talking to him at the table, I mean, 
I oh, wish God. I wish I wish more people, more fathers would have that conver- be that yes. conversation yeah. with their child. Yeah. Oh, that was a beautiful scene because he didn't tell him that what exactly what he was, but uh, yeah, that he knew. It's so. Uh, I'm gonna go with Will Smith Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, that's such a good choice. Yes, mm-hmm. I love that. But I have to go with Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. Oh, ooh, I mean, ooh. he's he's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that we're talking about American Sniper, it reminds me of Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook. He's so mm. good. Mm. In that yeah, yeah, I love that scene. His final speech. Tracy Letts and Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. Love that. What a great guy. I mean, just like his wife and his daughter arguing he's just playing solitaire. I mean, what a great day. (laughs) That is like my father. He had three daughters, and we would all be screaming at each other with our mother, and it could just be like a normal conversation, and all of a sudden you see the TV up to 100. But then, like, his son's going for the interview, and he's not mad. He straightens his tie, and he says, go get them. So, I mean, that's that's a wonderful dad right there. Uh, J.K. Simmons and Juno comes to mind. Oh, Oh, I love him. The movie that set him on his Oscar path. And also, too, I want to give a shout-out to one of my favorite movies of all time, Mufasa and The Lion King. Mm. Mm. The, Hugh Jackman the and Logan for me. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, when she says mm-hmm. "Daddy" at the end. oh, God, I, I, I can't, I can't. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start crying. Um, all right, <laughs> Isaiah Washington asks. Isaiah Washington asking lots of questions. Uh, what is a movie that is hated, but you secretly love? Oh God. <laughs> Spill the tea, people. Let's hear it. Secretly love? Yes. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't say love, but I, I did I watch got... Grown Ups and Does I kind it... of really liked it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it's embarrassing, but say I loved Dark Phoenix last year. It's I know that it's awful, but I love it. <laughs> Kaya, you're not alone. In that, I, there like people, that there, I know people that love that movie. I know those same people, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can't say that I understand it as a whole. There are definitely parts of it that I like. Yeah, I'm the same way. There were parts that I liked. Yeah, yeah. I know what mine is. Yeah, mine is <laughs> okay. So, 1999, great year for movies. This is not one of those movies. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> Simply Irresistible, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. What? At the height of her Buffy fame. What? The like lukewarmest, whitest riff on like water for chocolate. And it is so bad. And she is so wooden in it. And Sean Patrick Flannery is so wooden in it. But Patricia Clarkson is so delightful. And that there is just something about that movie that is like comfort food to me, and I gobble it up. It's like it's not good in any way, but I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say one, actually two, and they're and and it's kind of the they're so bad they're good for me, and maybe it's because I was I was a kid and I saw them. I think the Joel Schumacher Batman and Robin movie. Yo. Is, 
Oh, <laughs> it's so bad that it's great, and it's a wonderful drinking game, and you can get really drunk quick to any time Schwarzenegger makes a pun, which is basically all his dialogue. <laughs> I love it. Take drinking game movie. <laughs> and but I'm gonna say one, and my my wife has told me I'm crazy, and my dad's told me I'm nuts and insane, but. I like Wild Wild West. Oh my God. Josh Parm also loves Wild Wild West. And I actually like Wild Wild West more than Men in Black for some reason. And and it's a strong take. I know. But uh, I don't think Will Smith made a bad career move with that. It just didn't make money. (laughs) Uh, My choice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man okay uh so there is a movie that from when i was younger definitely worked for me i didn't know any better and i look back on it now and i definitely do not love it but i have nostalgic love for it where i look back and i'm just like ah yes yes this um there is a comedy film called Saving Silverman. Oh, I know oh, that movie. That introduced God. me to Neil Diamond and also introduced me to Jack Black, Amanda Peet, Steve Zahn. <laughs> oh my God, that movie is awful. But I I I, I still I still get a kick out of it. All right, moving on, because I don't want to dwell on it too much. Um <laughs> just want to talk about it too much. Just Sweep it under the rug. Yep. James Scott, James Robert Scott on Twitter asks, if the cinemas were closed last year, which 2019 release do you think they would have chosen to release to streaming instead of holding off for theatrical? Ooh. Uh, Doctor Sleep? Ooh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that happening. Yeah. I, would have gone straight to I think Booksmart would have gone straight to streaming. Long long shot. Shot. Oh, yeah, for sure. Long shot. Long shot, definitely. Long shot, yeah. I mean, if King of Staten Island is going to go to streaming, then long shot definitely would have gone to streaming, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, I agree with JoJo Rabbit. I think that would have been. Ooh. Yeah. Fine. Ooh. I also think Loose, maybe. Loose pretty much did go straight to streaming. I, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> barely opened. I, I'm surprised I even caught it in cinemas. I think the farewell. Would have done it. Yeah, the same way, like something mm. like Driveways. I, I could see, yeah, I could see the farewell going to streaming. Yeah. I probably not the platform it should have got than if it was in the theaters. I mean, look, that I would say the farewell, but A twenty four has not released anything to streaming this year because they need the money. Sure. They're hurting for cash. That's why I don't think they like would have Netflix done it with that. Acquired like, it. I think Netflix maybe would have acquired it from A24. So it's a possibility. Really quick. Speaking of which, actually, uh, Scott Kernan also asked, with the news of Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of Chicago 7 being switched to Netflix, potentially, do you think the amount of content being released by Netflix this year will be an advantage to the best picture race or a disadvantage due to the large amount of films that they are releasing this year. Mm. It's going to um, be a dis- it's going to I think it's going to be a disadvantage cuz it was a disadvantage for them last year. I don't think it now, was a disadvantage last year. I don't view la- I don't view last year as a uh as a loss for them. I actually did view it as a victory if you ask mm. me. They may not have gotten the best picture win, but in terms of how many of their films got recognized last year, how many successful campaigns they did run, Dolomite is my name excluded, in all honesty, 
I thought that yeah. they walked away better last year than they did the year prior with just Roma. Uh, you know, they had two popes, uh, Irishman and Maristory get major nominations. And I lost my body getting into animated. And they also got a documentary feature win. <laughs> they always get in there for a documentary feature yeah, and they usually win. But I mean, Matt. I, I, their goal is to win Best Picture, not to just get everything nominated. And they only walked away outside of that documentary feature with one Oscar and everything else. And the Irishman yeah. walked home empty-handed, and that was going to be their big play all year. They and have a problem juggling were, right now. Considering how they were positioning Marriage Story as the second coming of Kramer versus Kramer, exactly. like they... I, I think they can on, that can only be looked upon as a loss, that that yeah. one. I view the nominations and the and the wins as their own rewards in that way. And when I look at how many more of their films got nominated across the board versus the year prior, now, in my opinion, the only other way in terms of an upward trajectory is now to start converting those noms into wins. I don't think they're going to slow down this year. Well, they won director foreign language film the year before. So they well, took I, a step back. I, I, I personally, I, I honestly did not view it as a step back. I really didn't. I don't think it's a step back because um, I, I think The Two Popes was probably the 10th film. And also, I, I would also add, to check out my article on history of the <laughs> Oscars and politics, because the trial of the Chicago 7, if it's anything like all the president's men, this is not the year to release that movie. It's just not mm-hmm. the year to do mm-hmm. it. You don't want to do that in an election year. No, you want a movie like they, Defy Bloods for this well, year. You, well, it, movies about politics don't play well in election years. So right. I, I, I mean, I don't really think, you know, unless this is like the second coming of cinema, it's going to get what they what it wants, even if it had a traditional release. So if that's what you're hanging your hat on, I would say that's not really going to probably come to fruition this year. Sticking with Netflix here for a brief second for our next question uh, at eggs underscore acid. Oh, I like that user. Wow. Um, <laughs> because both Clark Peters and Delroy Lindo have so much screen time in the five bloods. Do you think Netflix will campaign them as co-leads? No, I think they're the, gonna get- thing they'll campaign both of them supporting. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, think either, I, I think that's probably like spotlight. They'll probably all go supporting. And it, it's it's hard to say because, you know, if one of them was a name, like a Denzel kind of a name, then maybe they would split them up. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what they do, because if they are getting the trial of Chicago seven and so many of those performances were supposed to be big ones where they end up putting. Dory Lindo. I know they still have Mank, so they're gonna try to push Gary Oldman there. Cool. They they obviously they landed two spots last year. Um that goes to help your claim earlier, Matt, but um, but they weren't able to pull off the win. I think they're gonna be strategizing big time because they are, I think, the the one studio right now that has the biggest advantage because they have the streaming and everybody will go and mm-hmm. watch their movies more than anybody else. So and I they think have the money to have. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, I think ultimately they will put Lindo in supporting actor to try to win that one. And I think there's a good damn strong chance that they will. And then they will 
focused on Gary Oldman or somebody if there's a, a lead in the sh- trial of Chicago 7. And Ryan, just to say one thing, because I know you think Netflix had a step back from Roma from this year. Remember, mm-hmm. they were in every one of the top seven categories. No, I, I, I get that. It's just their goal is to win Best Picture. They want to be that. St- they didn't get to do it with the Emmys. Correct. Yeah. Try their well, damnedest. To that's do it with that's the very true. The they might do it this year. It, it's true. Yeah. 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 No. They, no. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, they've got a good shot at it this year. Uh, but they they want to be that first one, and they want to be able to also yeah. win this and stick it in the doubters' face. So that if it's if it's political because of Trump wins, or if he loses, I mean, if he loses. It, it might actually help the Chicago seven if he wins. Oh, well, uh, yeah. It's going to yeah. help actually uh, defy bloods. I'm sorry. But if he, if it wins a celebratory film like Mank of Hollywood, or even like one of that, yes, the political system does work in the trial of Chicago seven, that could help. I mean, November, Josh Parm told me November and I agree with him is going to be a big factor in Josh's Normally, never wrong. It was a big factor with Moonlight and La La Land. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see where it goes. With the year we've had and a political year, look for a lighter tone film. So if Netflix has a lighter tone film, then, yeah, they've got a good chance. Right now, do I think they're going to win Best Picture with what I know they have? With Mank Unseen, it's hard to say. Because they usually go one of three ways when it's in an election year. They either go for, like, a comedy or musical um, a telling of a journeyman kind of film, and then something that's like a tale of the American dream gone yeah. awry. I would say like the lightest movie possible was going was was going to be there for Best Picture, and then it starred did some inappropriate things this week. So you know, well, so, that was that never going to push back, and it was never so, going to happen anyway. Yeah. Happen it, I, I'm really sorry. Yeah, anybody that was saying that West Side Story was always going to be like a picture director contender, I just nope. That's like yeah. to me, that's like saying the remake of The Godfather would also get nominated for picture oh. directors, and it just like when the when the bar is that high from the film that you're remaking yeah i'm sorry you just don't you don't come yeah. that close you just don't, I don't see, you can't predict that the original one 10 oscars why would you remake that movie and i know that like they're gonna blame the whole thing on ansel elgort mm. it's not going to be his fault entirely well i mean you don't i mean they're either gonna shelve it or they're gonna give spill because it's disney they're going to give Spielberg $50 million when this is all done, push it to next year, and reshoot the whole darn thing. I mean, just that could it. be very oh, likely. But we'll see. I mean, if he wanted to make a musical, there's hundreds of musicals he could have made I mean, that have never been done. Don't make a goddamn original musical. Sorry. I'm not saying an original. I'm saying pick one from Broadway that's never been adapted to film. Steven Spielberg doing Hamilton. And I'm saying, you like, why? Like, yes, you can do that, but why not make an original one? You're Steven goddamn Spielberg. You can do whatever you want. Why not do Assassins? Come on, that's perfect for you. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Spielberg doesn't do original stuff anymore. (laughs) He could have adapted a Broadway musical that's never been done before. Instead, his ego took on the winningest musical in Oscar history, it lost one category. And one is so category. still so iconic today. Like that's yeah. the thing that gets me. Like Yeah, do you think he's gonna share directing credit with the choreographer? No. <laughs> no, of course not. 
that poor person who has done just as much work because that is a dance musical is never going to get the respect and admiration he or she deserves. I don't know who it is. It, wait, I think it's uh, Blankenbuehler. I think it's Andy Blankenbuehler. I think it's the choreographer from Hamilton. So, yeah, it's Andy Blankenbuehler, and like he is like he's a big deal, and he knows what he's doing. And if speaking as a dancer choreographer in a past life, like choreographing for the camera is so specific. And when you have a movie that is so, so choreography heavy, the choreographer absolutely is a co-director on those sequences. You have to be, you have to be. Yeah. That's my, my whole problem with La La Land is that the one person who absolutely deserved attention was Mandy Moore. And she, she should have been she should have been given an honorary Oscar for choreographing that film. I mean, I don't know about that because the dancing in that movie was horrendous, but Dan, this is so rare. You and I never agree. I this, know. Is like, <laughs> this is like worth going off on this little tangent that Matt's probably gonna edit out. <laughs> oh, how'd you know? <laughs> we, hey, maybe we need to do all our podcast recordings in the evening now. <laughs> I know. All right. This one comes from Josh from Indy. Uh, would love to hear everyone's thoughts on that new teaser short for Candyman. Oh. Nia, Nia DaCosta's Candyman? Yes. Say it loud. Say it proud. Uh, <laughs> um, it looks great. And that should win best uh, animated short. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. That movie should make all the money in the world because it looks absolutely amazing. And she deserves it. And mm-hmm. um, Little Woods was really, really good. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Go check Very that out. Very good. Yeah. My other thing, too, is I don't know what marketing awards are held at the end of the year necessarily. They're winning. But they're winning. It. This should win everything for that. They're winning <laughs> it right now. They're the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, the animation for this was gorgeous. The message was incredible. Um, I did see a lot of people that were confused by it. Mm. Well, uh, but at the same time, no, I th- I thought it was pretty obvious what was going on here. Like this wasn't a trailer, no. you know, this was just a very unique way to get people hyped up for the movie while also bringing the movie's themes uh, more relevancy with everything that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. Disney can put like important pieces of information from their Star Wars movies and books, you can go and watch this and and, and get a taste of the movie without you know, getting a bad feeling about it or whatever. So I, I, I love that it. it's a great little tease and it gets you in the right mindset for what's to come when the movie releases. All right. We're going to end here with going down the rabbit hole. Uh-oh. Oh, oh no. no. At a twist of Oliver has several. Oh, what ifs? I like the candles yeah. on these people. Here are his what ifs for this week. Oh boy. What if, Daniel Day-Lewis won Best Actor for Gangs of New York. Then he still Ew, wins. Gross. Then he has four Oscars. I agree. I don't, I don't think it impacts. <laughs> I think he still wins all the others. I agree. So, so yeah. There's no way he doesn't win for Lincoln. I just don't see there's it. There's no way he loses for There Will Be Blood. Uh, he won everything for that. He would be the most winning. Uh, oh, well, in the male side, at least. He would be on the male side. Yeah, he would tie Catherine yeah, well, Hepburn. Yeah, so he would be tied with Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He would have won off one for which one do you think he would have lost for? I think he might have been vulnerable for Lincoln just because it was a very competitive year. Was it? He swept the whole season. I, I know, yeah. but you know what? I think that, you know, I think that 
we might have seen an argument for, uh, you know, the xenophobic argument of, do we really want the winningest actor in Oscar history? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to remember all those little things sometimes with these awards do matter. Um, I, I mm. think like, I think if they had um, the fashion designer movie, which title I blocked and from my head. Some thread. So misogynistic. If they had released that movie one year later, then yeah, sure. They had given it to him over. Okay. Robert Malik in a heartbeat. It's like, yeah, here you go. We'll just throw it to you from the stage. Like, knock yourself out. But I think in a very competitive year, because you remember when Meryl got up there and she's like, any other year, any one of these five would easily win. This is, it was one of the most competitive lineups. And, you know, Hugh Jackman is very well liked. Yeah. And or, or Joaquin. Yeah. You know. Say what you will. He did host the Oscars. <laughs> I, I think there would have been a play for him. Okay, fair enough. Even Bradley Cooper. Next, what if? What if Viola Davis won Best Actress for The Help? Ooh. I would have cried and been so that happy. That would have been so good. Here's my prediction here. I think that they don't campaign her supporting for Fences to get that easy win. I think they campaign her lead where she belongs. And she still would have won. And I think that, well, yes. I don't think she wins then. No, I think she does win and she makes Oscar oh, yeah. history as the first yep. African-American woman to have won two Oscars. And it should be her. I completely agree that 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 performance in fences is so monumental no matter what category it was in almost no matter what year it was in she -hmm. would have won and can i just Mm -hmm. remind you that like it is a very that the original fences because of the way the titles are done on broadway the actress was in the original performer was in this featured category so there is an argument that because Viola Davis was a name and her name was above the marquee with Denzel Washington, that that's why she was put in lead. So, you know, ju- I'm just telling, I'm just, you know. Mm. Yeah, we know. Well, filling out if, the details as to why things sometimes happen between, you know, Tonys and Oscars. They have different rules. Yeah. Correct me, correct me if I'm, rules. correct me if I'm wrong, but so if she won lead actress, that takes it away from Emma Stone, correct? Yes. So therefore, I think that there would have been Emma would have won for the favorite. There would have been a a it would have been a very 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 close race. I don't think that there would have been nearly as much. It wouldn't have been uh, Regina King versus Rachel Vice. It would have been Regina King versus Emma Stone. That's for sure. As it should have been. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that in that case too. I mean, it would have been like. Oh, La La Land was such a great performance and everything, and this is an even better one. And yeah, Regina King's a, a nominee, but 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 like you know, the favorites nominated for Best Picture, and that might have given it its second Oscar because it was the most nominated film of the night. And I think it uh, depends on question. who won the BAFTA in that situation because you have to remember that what gave Weiss the opportunity to win was her BAFTA yeah. win. Right. But exactly. What, what tripped her up from winning the Oscar was she'd already won. So if you're like switching this. And Emma Stone wins BAFTA. It's close. Then yeah. it comes down to the votes. It comes. Close. It's like, like by one or two votes. If Emma Stone doesn't win for La La Land, does she get a nomination for Battle of the Sexes? No. That's, Ooh. No. no. I think I think she still misses, and I think that they go. I think Golden Globe night. Regina doesn't win the Globe. It goes to Emma. 
because they're going to like, okay, we've nominated this girl like four times here. She but gives an immaculate performance. Golden Globe. And, and no, it, I think she carries a momentum throughout like this is her time. And it would and it would suck because Regina's performance is so damn good. And so is Emma's. And I prefer Regina's. But I think it would I think there would have been a bigger narrative around Emma, too. Plus, she's also like kind of a co-lead in that she is. I think she is the lead of the film mm-hmm. and she's misput there. So well, it, it would have been still interesting. I think it's the queen. Olivia is the. Yeah. Been there. Done that. What if Eddie Murphy won Best Supporting Actor for Dreamgirls? Then do not, do not, do Argo. not say Alan Arkin would have won for Argo. Do not he say that. What in what, <laughs> what world? <laughs> he would have won yeah. for Argo and, and, and Eddie Murphy wouldn't have stormed out after he lost. I'm sorry, but that's not an Oscar-worthy winning performance. It's not even an Oscar-worthy nominated performance in Argo. But Matt, he got nominated. Like the fact that he was able to get nominated for that performance, it says everything you need to know. Yeah. I think though, is that the thing about that year, everyone in that category had won an Oscar. And the thing would have been, well, Arkin doesn't have one. And the film was <sighs> the know. front runner and the gonna win best picture. I know. So therefore, process of elimination, even though it's not an Oscar performance or whatever, it, it's he would have probably had the momentum enough. Plus, he has I hate you some all. memorable scenes in that. I'm too. moving on to the last one. What if Kathy <laughs> Bates won Best Supporting Actress for Primary Colors? Who won instead of her? Kathy Bates, Primary Colors, 1998. So that is Judy Dench for Shakespeare in Love. It was never going to happen. I don't. I don't. It was never going to happen. But I also don't think it would have really changed anything. Like I don't think there would have been a big push. Ever there wasn't a time when Judy Dench could have won another Oscar, really. I mean, maybe Notes on a Scandal, but that was such a you know, that was a sweeper year, and I don't think she would have won for Philomena. Could she have been <laughs> nominated for Skyfall? Yes, possibly, yeah. possibly, but I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't they think don't it changes like, much. Yeah. So Judy Dench doesn't have an Oscar in that scenario. I mean, then Matt last year, Universal would have pushed really hard, really hard for her to win for cats. The problem would have been solved. <laughs> and there you go. She looked into that screen and whatever she said, I believed it. <laughs> and when I saw her real hand on that cat body. That'll do it here for this week. That was fun. Thank you all very, very much. Our guests here, Ryan, we'll start off with you. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan McQuaid 77. You can listen to me every week on the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film segment, where we are going to be talking about David Lean over the next couple of weeks, seven weeks to be exact. Uh, I also do Chasing the Gold over there. We have a new episode coming out with Mr. Josh Parham. Um, so, uh, check out for that within the next week. Uh, I also have writings at in session film and over at award circuit and also check out award circuit. We've been on that podcast circuit breaker doing a lot of trivia competitions and, uh, we had another fun one this morning and I highly recommend it. And we did it also on YouTube. So you can go find us at award circuit on YouTube and, and see us, not just listen to us, but see us if you're into that. So. And thank you, Matt, for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Um, I thank you for 
short notice, making the time. Really, really appreciated the insight. Kaya, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at FilmLesbian. And again, thank you for having me on. No, once again, thank you as well. Um, really, really like having you here. Amanda, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amanda Spears. I always try to retweet all my articles for both here and Awards Watch. So follow me if you want. I don't know. <laughs> and Dan Bear, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 199 of the Next Best Picture podcast, episode 200 next week. Wow, uh, pretty crazy. I have a pretty big announcement to make, uh, so stay tuned for that. And we're also going to be doing a lot of really, really special, uh, fun bits on next week's episode. So I, I'm very much looking forward to it. I want to thank everyone, as always, for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Next time.